extend Christian greetings to you on this snowy evening again. I also want to thank you for the efforts you put in coming out. You didn't have to. And I trust the Lord will bless you. And it's been enjoyable to be here, even if the weather is like this. You know, God is still sovereign and he has a purpose in this. We might not see the entire picture as he sees it, but there's a reason for this weather. And I wonder if it was to test our um, desire to meet and to test our stamina, maybe, in our Christian walk. But I have really enjoyed being here. I was looking forward to coming. My family has enjoyed being here. Thank you, young people and youth, for making it enjoyable for them. And my wife enjoyed being here also. It's good to get to know some of you. I've not got to know all of you. I'll try to remember those names that I have processed. And it's a challenge sometimes to dig them back out again at a later date. But I do thank you for your, your attentiveness and your presence and your prayers. And I ask that you would pray tonight also that the uh, powers of darkness could be bound, that we could preach the word with sincerity and with and truth. Tonight I plan to speak on a subject that's very dear to my heart. And trust you can maybe overlook the emotions and see what God has for us. As we think about the family, that is a dear subject of mine, and I try to uh, contain my emotions as we look into a subject as tonight. I try not to keep you late, and after the amen is said, it's up to you about how late you get home, so I'll try not to, to make it too late. But tonight, there's a subject I want to look at. You know, the first night we looked at marriage, second night we looked at young people and standing and with conviction, and then this morning the emotions we can find in our lives and in lives of our home. Tonight I want to look at parent-child relationships. And it all goes a little farther than that. It goes parent to youth also. And sometimes the youth find themselves not connecting with their parents very well. And there's multiple reasons for that. So we want to look at what it takes for a parent to reach the child's heart. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. This is, this is basically the title of the message, but it's also the entire content of the message. And, I, and I'm, I'm quoting the verse when I, when I give you the title. And the title of the message tonight is, My son, give me thine heart. Do you have the heart of your child tonight? What does it look like to have the heart of your child? Young people, what does it look like to give your heart to your parents? To give them honor, to give them respect, to, give them, to trust them with your heart. That's what we want to talk about. Having the heart of our children and that our parents would have our hearts and that there's a relationship there that is strong enough to send out and build up godly young people in godly homes, to make strong godly homes. And parents, tonight, if we don't have the hearts of our children, our homes are going to be in shambles. That's the way it is. And that's why there's, heart, there's homes in shambles within the church today. And it really bothers me when I go places and when I even go to our own home church and I, and I observe children. Did you know children tell stories with their, with their behavior and with their demeanor and with their countenance? Did you know that? There's a story behind those little faces. And there's a story behind those eyes. And they tell us something. Do you take time and observe? The forlorn, glazed over, deadened look in the face of a child is not the proper countenance of a child. A hurting child. And we can try to keep as much secrets as we want to mommy and daddies, but let me tell you, the little children are going to tell. The little children's behavior and the little children's countenance is going to tell on us. We must have the heart of our children. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. It's one of my favorite verses again. And I have a, quite a few of those. 
This is, this is Solomon writing. And he says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Parents, can you say that tonight to your children? Give me thine heart and follow me. Do as I do. Let me show you how to live. Let me show you what God desires in our hearts and in our lives to live a victorious life. This is what it looks like. There's so many mommies and daddies in the world today or in the churches today that can't honestly say that. Because if they would tell their child to follow them, they would go inside the stores that are selling things that they shouldn't be. But it's a secret and nobody knows. But can you tonight say to honestly to your children and to your youth, give me thine heart and observe my ways. And that was Solomon's plea here. I said it's a burden on my heart and it's, it's a burden on my heart because I have not attained. And I have my family sitting in front of me as I preach this message. But I have not attained. My desire is to have the hearts of my children and to send them out with godly teaching and instruction and show them how to live. Is that the desire of my heart? And it's mommies and daddies play a critical role in how our children turn out. And so often today we do the blame factor and we start blaming others and we always have a reason why our children are behaving the way they are. And it doesn't really matter who we blame as long as we blame something or something. Many times it's something that we can blame our children's behavior on. And we play such a critical role in shaping and molding them in this tender age that they are. You know, God never intended, God never intended His children... God never intended that we raise children to fill hell. Is that surprised you tonight? That God never intended that His children raise children to fill hell. He intended that the family raise godly children to honor and glorify Him, that the church could prosper and that the church can grow. Satan has stole far too many of our children has stole their hearts, has stole our children. And I want to give you a quote. I'm quoting Paul Weaver. He's a, a, he's a friend of mine, and, and I, th- I think highly of him in his, in his um, leadership. Paul Weaver, quote, The one who has the heart controls the life. The one who has the heart controls the life. Can you see why it's imperative, parents, that we have the hearts of our children? Because we don't have the hearts of our children, someone, something else will. And who has the heart controls the child. We must have the hearts of our child. Let me ask you something. Why? And it's a long-asked question, and you can ponder this the rest of the remainder of the, of the message, if you please. But why are there rebellious children coming out of Christian homes? God never intended rebellious children to come out of Christian homes. Yes, it's because of sin, I understand that. But He has created and designed a way for us to raise godly children and build up godly families that will stand the test of time and that will build the, God, the church of Jesus Christ and be part of it. Why are there rebels coming out of the Christian home? And that and that's alarming to me. Okay, so for a few more text verses out of Proverbs 23. We'll start at verse 24. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. The father... Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she shall bear, she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and observe my ways. Speaking about rebels. Rebels love company. A rebel doesn't survive very long in solitude. So if you can imagine a rebel in the church... Whether it doesn't matter where he sits, the rebel in the church desires company. And he's not satisfied by being a rebel alone. 
Rebels always love company. And it stirs it up. Rebels love company. And they don't survive long all by themselves. You know, Solomon wrote these, these verses that we have here. And he was full of wisdom, godly wisdom. And he looked at his father David and he made some observations. We would say Solomon was not the ideal father figure, probably. We could come to that conclusion. But he's full of wisdom and what he wrote is for our good and for our learning and for our education. So we want to read, we want to apply what is written in the Word of God tonight. Even if Solomon wasn't the godly father that we'd have to, he looked at his father and he made some observations and he wrote some things down. Like verse 19, just back up a couple verses. Hear thou my son and be wise and guide thine heart in the way. And he was concerned for his children. So we want to look at David's life for a few examples tonight, and, and we will get to that. But what a sad commentary when we think of the home. What a sad commentary of a home where the children are raised without ever giving their hearts to their parents. And that is happening today, right within the walls of the church. There are families that are being raised and children that are being raised who have never given their hearts to their parents. They don't trust their parents. Their parents don't really have anything to offer to them. Not one of our children is expendable. Not one of the children that God has placed into your care is expendable where you can say, well, I've got four others. We're going to let him go. That is not God's design. God desires the children, the fathers and mothers to have the hearts of their children and guide them in the way that they should go. We want to look at that. And oh, for the parents who have the attitude that at least the house is paid for. At least I don't have to work anymore. The children are raised. We're going to let them go how they want to go. The selfish attitude of the parents. The selfish parents will not have the hearts of their children. What a sad commentary of a home where mommies and daddies, where the child says, Mommy and Daddy never had my heart. Maybe it's a teenager that says tonight, Mommy and Daddy never had my heart. I would never give my heart to my Mommy and Daddy. I don't trust my Mommy and Daddy. Maybe there's a child here tonight that looks at Daddy as a monster and he says, Daddy is a monster. I'm afraid of my Daddy. You don't know how my Daddy acts at night. You don't know how my Daddy acts when nobody else is around. You don't know the real Daddy that I have. Maybe that's the child that's, that's, there's a child here that's saying that tonight. Selfish Daddies, we need to repent. God never intended monsters to be in, the, in our homes. Now is the time to change. Our attitude towards our children needs to change. And our view of the family needs to change. This attitude that it will all pan out. And I think I've observed that many times in, in the Christian home, or in, in, within the church, where parents are raising children, and you have to wonder what they're thinking. And I think what they're thinking is, it will all pan out in the end. They're going to learn the hard way, and it'll all pan out in the end. We're going to let them go. We're going to give them the reins. And you have lost entire control of the life of your child because you think it'll just all pan out in the end. Somehow, that mentality has settled in that if we just ignore it, just ignore it, just ignore it, it'll all pan out in the end. That's not how God works. God is intentional. He's provided what we needed, and He is what? and was gracious and merciful enough to place children into our homes and into our lives. And it gives us something to do, and it gives us responsibility. I don't know if there's anybody here that entertains this thought, but I want to look at this question. Why must I have the heart of my child? Why is it really important that I must have the heart of my child? In case that's a new thought to you tonight. Why must I have the heart of my child and the heart of my children? 
It's because God does not do for us what He intends for us to do ourselves. And that is to raise godly children. And that is to... to It takes effort. And that is to be intentional. And we might ask ourselves, well, why doesn't God just... Why doesn't God just give us these these full-grown children? You see what I mean? Why God doesn't just raise these children up and keep them from falling away? It's because God doesn't do what He intends for parents to do for Him. And that is to raise godly children. And He has given us the tools and the keys that we need to raise godly children. And if we fail, there's something missing. God desires us to raise our children. Two parents working together, raising God's children. Why must I have my child's heart? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. To answer the question, why must I have the heart of my child? This was, recently this was a new thought to me. To answer the question, why must I have the heart of my child? We want to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 4. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places may need... Excuse me. And the rough places plain... Why must I have the heart of my child? Parents, we have a responsibility for creating a highway into the heart of our children. A highway for Jesus to come in. So that when Jesus comes, they know what that is. They know what it's about. So when Jesus is knocking on their heart's door, it's not unfamiliar to them. They'll say, oh, that's what Daddy was talking about. That's what Mommy was talking about. We have created a highway to the heart of our children. A highway for our God to find the heart of our child. That's our responsibility, to prepare the highway for Jesus in the heart of our children. That's why we need the heart of our child. How are we going to show them that Jesus wants into their heart when they're afraid of us? And they don't trust us. And what we say doesn't matter. And when they can't believe us because we're not telling the truth most of the time or some of the time. We are responsible. God desires a highway. And that the way be made straight. Just as John the Baptist came and made straight and opened a highway for Jesus to their people, to the, to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, so must we prepare the hearts of our children create a highway. In Malachi 4, 6, He shall turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the father lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. How close is God ready to smite the earth with a curse? This is talking about relationships. Relationships between parents and child or fathers to sons and mothers to daughters. Building relationships. And when that is no longer taking place, I believe the earth will be cursed. And we wonder why society is on a downward spiral. Can you see the importance of having the heart of our child so that we can control their life? Tonight, young people, I'm not talking about a dictating father and mother controlling everything you do. I'm talking about that they can control you and your behavior and the decisions that you make and there's a relationship that you come to parents and they can come to you and there's There's communication and there's dialogue and there's love. That is what I'm talking about. When parents can control the lives of their children. Well, maybe I don't know where where you're at tonight here with, with parents and child and parents and youth relationships. But maybe we're asking or pondering the question tonight. Why don't my child repent? I brought him to church his whole all these years and he's a teenager. I don't know why my child don't repent. And become a Christian. Well, why don't those preachers preach hellfire messages that would drive my child to his knees, that would bring my youth to his senses, that would make him think straight, that would make him accept Jesus? Could it be 
Fathers and mothers tonight, could it be that there's a child here tonight that has never seen mommy or daddy repent, that has never seen mommy or daddy come down this aisle to the altar and confess with godly sorrow? They don't know what it looks like, but we want them to repent and we want them to accept Jesus because that's the thing they need to do, but they've never been shown how. They don't know what it looks like. They ought to just know. I've been telling them for ten years. Have I been showing them? Have I been showing my children what it is like to repent? And we just expect them to get on their knees and know how to repent. Daddies, we need to take our place and show them how to repent. By example... This is what God's want. We tell our children this is what God would want. This is what God wants. When we repent, we are sorry. And we say we're sorry. And we don't do it again. And we tell and we and we, and we repent. Do you have your child's heart? Could you could you do that for your child tonight? I think in our homes there's just too much. There is so much of this. This mentality amongst us fathers especially, but maybe mothers and fathers both. But I think there's this mentality that I can take care of it myself. And when the Spirit convicts me that I did something, an offense to my family, that it's between me and God, I'm going to take care of it at home. I'm going to take care of it next time. And it really doesn't matter. Nobody else has to know about this. And so we think that we're just going to take care of it at home. And then we wonder why they don't, the child doesn't know how to repent. To, know, to, to mean business with God when we're sorry. Parents, this is my weakness and I, 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 I'm desiring to grow in this. But parents, we will never have the hearts of our children, if they never hear us say, I am sorry, I was wrong. If, we, if they never hear us say that, we are not going to have the hearts of our children. They don't know that what it is like for mama and daddy to be sorry and to, and to repent. It's got to be part of our, our, our life. It's got to be part of our, our walk. We earn their trust. We earn their respect. When we humble ourselves and we tell our children and we tell our youth, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry I was wrong. Is building trust. I can trust Daddy now. I know he's sorry. But if he never hears Daddy say I'm sorry, how can he trust him? Daddy never does anything wrong. Do you have the heart of your child tonight? Do you want the heart of your child and if tonight you're experiencing difficulty in controlling your child's life, maybe could it be possible that you have lost the heart of your child that you once had? I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But there's a good possibility of losing the heart of a child. We're going to talk about that later. But I said we want to look at the life of David. And we're going to get to that. Fathers and mothers, tonight is the time to take back that heart that has been given to another. We need to take our, the our hearts of our children, we need to take it back. We can't just wait and expect it to change for the better without some change happening in our own lives. We can't just expect our children to change when there's not some change happening in our own lives. Like impatient fathers and nagging mothers. If there isn't some change in our own life, don't expect some change in our children's behavior. It's a humbling experience. So for some lessons tonight from the scriptures, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 14. David was a man after God's own heart and he struggled with family relationships. 2 Samuel chapter 14. <coughs> We don't want to be hard on Dan David tonight. We want to look at maybe, I guess I don't know how old Solomon was. 
Maybe Solomon was observing this. I don't know. When he was writing the Proverbs, he had to think back. But we want to look at David not to tear him down, but to see that there's some failures that we want to avoid. Some failures that we want to avoid. That's basically what we're looking at here. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, what happened here was Absalom was uh, murdered Ammon. And he needs to run and hide. And it says in verse 37 of the previous chapter, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amenahud, king of Gersher. And David mourned for his son every day. And then verse 38, So Absalom fled and went to Gersher and was there for three years. I want us to remember the scenario here in the setting. He was gone in hiding for three years. And the soul of David longed to go forth unto Absalom. For he was comforted concerning Ammon, seeing that he was dead. Now David wants to see Absalom. You see, David didn't have time for Absalom before this. We're talking probably about a grown individual here, but let's bring it into our setting with children and parent relationship. He wanted to see dad. And every time I'm reading here, and it says the king, the king, the king, we're talking about dad. We're talking about Absalom's dad. It's called, he, we, we call him king, yes. But he was a dad. And Absalom, it says here that now, now David wanted to see, see Absalom. So in verse 1 of chapter 14, Now Joab the son of Zariah perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. Now was the time, he thought, Joab thought, now is the time this David is, David's heart is turning towards Absalom, okay? But he didn't have his heart. He did not have Absalom's heart. The king's heart was towards Absalom and he had good intentions, but he never had the heart of his son Absalom. David recognized at this point that he was losing his son, Absalom his son. He was losing him. And if we look at and I read that already, that he, he went into hiding for three years, and now David's wondering why he doesn't see him. But he had to run and hide because he killed his brother. All right, so let's move on. I want to read, starting in verse 21 of chapter 14, this little, this little section of time in David's life. David did not have time for his son. Verse 21 and the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go therefore and bring the young man Absalom again. So now Absalom is invited to, to come to the king. Or Absalom is invited to come see dad. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gersher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Alright, so now Absalom's coming to Jerusalem to see his dad. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house. Let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his house and saw not the king's face. Absalom wanted so badly to see his father, and he came when he was called for, and he so badly wanted to see his father, and his father said, I don't have time. Send him on to his own home. We're going to let him go for now. And he saw not the king's face. All he wanted was some time with his dad. Dad didn't have time. Dad didn't permit him to even come into his presence. Verse 25. But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, for it was every year at every year's end that he pulled the, because the hair was heavy on him. Therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there was born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar, and she was the woman of a fair countenance. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not Dad's face. Two years now that he came back and David didn't have time. You might say that's extreme, but how much time does my sons and my daughter get from me? How much of my time do they have? 
Yes, this was extreme. This was two years of not, two more years of not seeing the king. Right there in the hometown. This is all adding up to something not good. All right. So Absalom dwelt in Jerusalem for two full years. Verse 29. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have... So Absalom is now communicating through Joab. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have sent him to the king, but he would not come. So now he's calling for Joab and saying, get me into the king, get me into the king. And Joab doesn't even acknowledge him. He ignores him. That's what's happening here. But he would not come, and when he sent him the second time, he would not come. Therefore he, he said unto his servants, this is Absalom speaking to his servants, and he says this, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my barley field on fire? And Absalom answered, Joab, Behold, I sent for thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the ki- that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Gersher? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face. And if there be iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his on his face to the ground before the king. And now look at this. And the king kissed Absalom. So the first time in what? Five years that he even sees his father. And his father comes over and he kisses him. All all Absalom wanted, you know, was some time for dad and to see dad again. And David kissed him. I like to think that was an intentional effort because he didn't have Absalom's heart that he was going to he, he was he was he was trying to, to show some affection. But he did not have Absalom's heart. What I want us to see here is that children go to extremes to get their parents' attention. Did you know that? If you have little ones and, and they don't have mom and dad's attention they get their t- attention. And there's a host of ways they can get attention. And there could be youth tonight that are out setting barley fields on fire, saying, Mom and Dad, I want your attention. I don't know what, what the deal is, but I haven't been talking to you or you haven't been talking to me. You haven't noticed me. And they're lighting barley fields, so to speak. Children go to extremes when we do not have their heart and they desire the, their parents' attention. They go to extreme measures. And Solomon or Absalom did this and he set these barley fields on fire and it seemed to bring a result for him. And he could finally see Dad. All he wanted was to see the king's face. Verse 32. He says... Therefore, let me see the king's face. And he just wanted to see dad. But I don't know how sincere David was when he kissed him. I think he saw, I think he saw that Absalom, that he had lost Absalom's heart or he didn't have Absalom's heart at all anymore. Now I'd like to look at the next chapter as we have this setting that he finally saw his father but David did not take Absalom's heart. He did not, Absalom did not give his father his heart. And it came to pass that after this, Absalom prepared him chariots and horse, horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, What city art thou? Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed for the king to hear thee. And Absalom moreover said moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come to me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and he kissed him. Do you see what's taking place here? Verse 6, Then on, the man, on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the heart 
of the men of Israel. We have the world trying to steal the hearts of our children today, just like Absalom did. And fathers and mothers, if we don't have the hearts of our children, somebody else will. Something else will take the hearts of our children. We want to have the hearts of our children. And here, David did not have the heart of Absalom. And he was out there giving it away to the people. And he had an agenda. And he had an agenda. David no longer had a relationship with Absalom. Absalom now says, I'm going to take life in my own hands. This is what I'm going to do. And he started taking his own course in life. And David had no control in that life at all anymore of his son. So he stole the hearts of the people. Everybody loved Absalom. I'd like to look at another verse in 2 Samuel 18, verse 18. If we think about this this um, Absalom who has an agenda now and he wants to make a name for himself. In 18, verse 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime was t- had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the Kingsdale. And he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Absalom raised up a pillar for himself. What do I see about this, fathers and mothers? When we don't commend and praise our children, they are going to seek it elsewhere for acceptance and self-worth. If we don't give our children self-worth, and if we don't praise them and commend them for what they are and what they do and who they are, they will seek it somewhere else. They will seek acceptance somewhere else. And we need to be intentional about reaching the hearts of our children. How does that look? Well, fathers, did you know it's very important that you have the hearts of your daughters? Not only moms have to have the hearts of their daughters. If you do not have the hearts of your daughters tonight, they will give it to another. Do you want another to have the hearts of your daughters. There needs to be a relationship there. Dads, do you ever tell you tell your daughters that they're beautiful? Do you ever tell your daughters that you look nice today? Do you ever tell your daughters when they're they're ready to go to church that Boy, you you look good in that dress today. That makes your daughters glow. If dad loves me, if dad thinks I'm beautiful, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the guys think at church. It doesn't matter what the guys think on the street. If dad thinks I'm beautiful, I know I'm beautiful. That's what really matters. Why should we allow them to get that from another? They need to hear it from us, dads. Do you ever tell your sons? Do you ever tell your sons that they're handsome? Do you ever tell your sons that you did a good job? That is that is an incredible good job. That is nice. Do you ever tell them I couldn't have done it that well? Do you commend your sons that they have confidence in you? That when they do something, it's going to be good enough for dad. And if it's good enough for dad, it's good enough for anybody. And if it's good enough for mom and she likes the way I do it, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. That is a relationship. And that is how it is to have the heart of your child. And if we don't have the heart of our child, they will seek it elsewhere. It's obvious. We see it. Alright, so he built up a pillar unto himself to make a name for himself, Absalom did, but his end is coming to an he's almost to his end. And in verse thirty three of that same chapter, this is after he got hung up in the tree and was speared and shot through. Now suddenly it's incredible it's interesting here it, that suddenly David 
sees that he doesn't have the heart of his son, then he's never going to have it. Verse 33, And the king was moved much, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept as he went, and he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God that I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now it sounds like he was just just incredibly sad that his son was gone. And he knows, and I think what was so sad was the finality. He would never have the heart of Absalom ever again. He had lost it somewhere back there because he didn't have time for his son. And he spurned that time. And Absalom never gave him his heart. It was too late. Absalom died a rebel. There are young people dying rebels today because their parents don't have their hearts. If our children are with us today, it is high time to retrieve their hearts so we can control their lives. It's going to take work. It's going to take humility. Let our children observe our ways. So David wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. We need to be men and women, mothers and fathers after God's own heart to where we can show our children how to live and we can show our children how to repent. And if you want to know how to repent, you can look at David's life. He showed us all how to repent. Absalom chose his own way. He who has the heart controls the life. Now the remainder of the message, I want to look at five things. Five ways to know if you have your child's heart. Then we're going to look at five ways that we can lose the heart of our child. That's what we want to look at the remainder of this message this evening. Five ways if you have... To know if you have the heart of your child. Number one, you know you have the heart of your child if they trust you to confide in you about their struggles they are facing. And that may, may be the, the, the adolescent's age and the youth. But you know you have the heart of your child if they come to you with their problems and their issues in life and they say, Mommy and Daddy, this is how I feel. Mommy and Daddy, this is what I'm facing. Can you help me? Yeah, I, I want to help you. Observe my ways. Do you have something to offer your child when they come to you with their heavy hearts? Or do they have to find another? Somebody that will cuddle with them and, and take them out in the dark places. Does your child like to have heart-to-heart talks? Mothers and fathers, tonight, do you know the interests of your children? If you don't have the heart of your child, I don't believe you're going to know their interests in life, their pursuits, their dreams, their visions that they have for their life. They're individuals. They're all different. Number two, you know you have the heart of your child if they love to spend time at home and be be with you, if they like to be in your presence. And if it bothers them to be apart from the family, how does that look in your family? Do you have the hearts of your children to where they like to spend time at home? They like to spend time with family. They like to spend time with mom and dad. Where sitting around the table is more than eating a meal. Spending time at the family goes long past the time of the meal is over and pretty soon the, mer- the bread turns moldy and the, the cottage cheese turns turn sour or sweet. Rebuilding relationships around the table. Or is it, is it a situation to where, where you eat in silence and you're up and out and, and, and the, the dishes get, get dirty and crusty by themselves on the table? Number three, you know you have the heart of your child. You know you have the heart of your child 
This goes back to, to, to last night. If your convictions are embraced and upheld even when you're not present, you know you have the heart of your child. If what is important to mom and dad is important to them whether you're present or not, and if you're not present, they would not violate those teachings and those convictions because you have their heart, you have their trust, you have their respect. You know you have the heart of your child. If your convictions are embraced and upheld when you're not around, you can trust them. You don't have to think twice when they're gone away alone. You know you have the heart of your child, number five. Number four, excuse me. You know you have the heart of your child. If there's peace in the home and apologies are made and forgiveness is granted. How would it be in a home where there's no apologies made, no forgiveness granted in a Christian home? And what I mean is, you have the heart of your child when your child comes to you and can confess wrongdoings because he violated what you had taught him and it bothered him and he was sensitive or she was sensitive to that and they come to you and say, Mom and Dad, this is what I did. This is where I messed up. This is where I failed. I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And they know that when they come to mom and dad, and mom and dad have no idea this happened, and they hear it from the child's heart, and they hear it from the child's own tongue, that it's going to be okay. This is going to be alright. Mom and dad are going to understand. You know you have the heart of your child if they can come to you and say, this is where I messed up. You have the heart of your child. Number five. You may think this is on the lighter end of things, but I think this tells a big story. I think this tells, tells us a lot when we're thinking about adolescence and youth. And we all take ourselves back to our adolescence and youth and we get, remember what you thought of your mom and dad. Number five. You know you have the heart of your child if they're not ashamed to be seen with you. When they like to be with you, but they're not ashamed to be and identify with you as their parents in public and wherever you're at. They're not ashamed to identify with their parents. They can go and they can say to their friends and to their youth and to their peers, they can say, that is my mom and dad. That's my mom. That's my dad. And they're not ashamed to be seen with you because they trust you and there is a relationship there. There's a relationship and there's nothing to be ashamed of with this relationship. How would you how would you think the young person would respond when the dad or the mom, but the dad is abusive at home, verbally abusive, physically abusive, whatever abuse it is at home, and he's seen in public with this young person, do you think they're gonna say, That's my dad? This is my dad. I want you to meet my dad. No. If they're not ashamed to be seen with you, when they like to identify with you, and when they can say, this is my best friend, this is my mom, this is my best friend, this is my dad. And you know you have the heart of your child. That's a good feeling. There's some security in knowing that you have the heart of your child. Now I want to look at five ways that you can lose the heart of your child and you can turn them away. Did you know tonight that you can have the heart of your children one day and lose it the next, so to speak? Did you know that you can have the heart of your child and all of a sudden, when they're a teenager or however long, all of a sudden they lose the heart of your child? What does that look like? Why can I? Why do I lose the heart of my child? Well, here's five ways to lose the heart of your child and to turn them away. And you scratch your head and wonder why a rebel came out of your home. Number one, this may be foremost. I don't know that this is in any order, but this is huge. This is huge, brothers and sisters, in bringing and losing the heart of your child. You You can lose the heart of your child and turn them away. Number one is disobedient fathers and mothers. Disobedient fathers and mothers will turn the hearts of their children away. Disobedient fathers and mothers. 
Parents who pretend to be Christians but are not obedient to the laws of the land. They are not obedient to the authority of the church. They're pretending to be Christians and they want to raise their their children in that Christian setting, but the children can see right through them. And disobedient parents can turn the hearts of the children away. It creates a confusion. It creates a frustration in the lives of children and in the lives of young people when they see mom and dad saying one thing and practicing another and acting another. It's one thing to come to church and say nice things and say all the right things and go home and to rail on your leaders. Mommies and daddies, if you rail on your leaders, you're going against God. That is rebellious. These leaders are set up for the structure of the church. For your best interest. All right. That was number one, disobedient fathers and mothers. Number two, another way to lose the heart of our child and to turn them away is not restraining the child. Not restraining our child. I'll just ask you to think back at Eli, priest Eli. And he had a little Samuel that, he, that was helping him. And little Samuel could observe that Eli was not restraining his sons. And they turned out bad. Turn to Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Going back to Solomon's proverb. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Not restraining your child can turn their hearts away and we don't have the hearts of our child. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Parents, there's no substitute for disciplining our child. There's no substitute for spanking the child. That is God's design for raising our children and to have the hearts of our children. And if we're going to have the hearts of our children tonight, we're going to discipline them. We're going to make them listen. And we're going to show them what it's like that when we make wrong choices, that there's consequences. And those consequences, they remember those consequences. There's no substitute for spanking the child in the proper age range. The training and the molding and the shaping and the directing in life. The lack of restraint spoils a child. Spoiled children come from homes where there's no restraint. Spoiled children do not build strong churches. Spoiled children who grow up in the church do not build strong churches. And we are to raise godly children for the upbuilding of the church of Jesus Christ. Spoiled children do not build strong churches. Number three. Another way that we can lose the heart of our child and turn them away Raising our voices in anger. It is so easy. It is so easy for me to raise my voice. It is so easy for us to raise our voice. Before we can even think it, we've raised our voice in anger. The quickest way to lose the heart of your child and the trust of your child is to raise your voice in anger. And pretty soon they fear mom and dad. Because they raise their voice in anger. I know what that is. It's damaging. We want to retain the heart of our children. Raising voices, raising our voices in anger is is very common problem in the homes within our churches and within our families at large. But raising our voices in anger makes for angry children. And angry children become rebels coming out of the Christian home. Raising our voice 
is going to turn the heart of our child away. And brothers and mothers, that is a moment where we say, I am sorry, I was wrong, and we repent, and we try to mend, and we try to claim that child's heart again, to earn their trust, that they know that we are sincere. Number four, you know, another way that that you can lose the heart of your child and turn them away. Number four, when we don't have time for our children. And I don't know if that was David's greatest weakness. I don't know if that was the the real issue behind Absalom and, and David not being together and that he wasn't a dad, being a dad for Absalom. But when we don't have time for our children and dads that sneaks up on us, that sneaks up on us, we think it really isn't all that important. Children desire our time over anything else in the world. And we have a hard time processing the fact that our children don't really care how much money we have in our wallet. Our children don't really have any concept of us bringing home a paycheck. That is not what's important to them. All that they like and what is most important to our children is that Daddy takes time for me. And Daddy has time for me. Who's going to have the heart of the child? Daddy's going to have the heart of the child. But when we don't have time for our children, those children are going to have to find somebody else that will give them some time. And who's going to have the heart of that child at that moment? Our children, our children need to know that they are special and that they are important and each individual and that they are individuals. Along with not having time for our children, is too busy doing good. Too busy doing good pushes our children away. And we need to be conscious and considerate of, and can take that into consideration. That when we're so busy doing good that, that we push our children away. And pretty soon they're lighting barley fields saying, Mom and Dad, where are you? When we don't take time for our children. I'm going to give you an example. There was a preacher one time that was was struggling to put a message together for Sunday morning. And this was, was Saturday night, getting late into the evening. And he was struggling, like sometimes we do, putting messages together. And this is really intense, and this is a lot of pressure. And his small son came to the door of his office, and he knocked on the door. Do you answer the door? The small child, he was a little lad... He came into the office and said, Son, what do you want? What can I do for you? And he stood there, twirling a stick. Twirling a little stick. And he says, Daddy, look what I found. Oh, wow, that's nice. Come sit on my lap, let's talk about your stick. And he had opportunity to talk about Jesus and creating the tree and the stick and the little things that are important to little people. And when that young man became a teenager, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ and he told his dad, it's because you told me about Jesus that night. That's what was important. The message was prepared and the message was preached and something that went beyond that was taking time for his son and telling him about Jesus that one day he could give his heart to Jesus because he took time. How can we expect our children to give us their hearts when we don't take time for them? You're going to find another. All right, that was number four. Number five. In ways that we can lose the hearts of our children and turn them away. And I think that this next one, this last one, I think this is prevalent within the Mennonite church. I think this thing is, this is popular or, or common within the, within the church. It's, it's common within our communities. But number five, wrong leadership in the home. 
will turn our, the hearts of our children away. Wrong leadership in the home. Role reversal. Where mom thinks she needs to be dad and dad's just all fine and good with it. You're going to turn your hearts, the hearts of your children away. Arguing parents within the home. Arguing parents back and forth causes friction and tensions and mistrust. And it's a shameful problem. But arguing parents causes shameful, shamefulness and mistrust in our children. It brings instability. It's going to cause our children to go seek peace elsewhere. They're not going to come to us. They're not going to come to parents who are arguing and, and dis, dissatisfied. Mothers, if you desire the roles of your husbands tonight, you can expect that your daughters are going to disrespect and shut out their fathers. It's telling them that their father's a no good, he doesn't, do, doesn't know what he's doing. He's not really important, and he's not necessary in the home. When mommies try to take the place of daddy, things start falling apart. That is not the way that God has designed us. Wrong leadership in the home. I don't know, maybe there's some, some pretty good excuses that you can come up with. That, well, he's not doing his job, I'm going to have to. If he's not going to do it, somebody's got to. That's not how God designed it. And dads, if you don't respect those who are your authority, your children are going to lose the respect for your authority. It's that simple. I said the children will tell a story. So when we have children coming up into adolescence age and they care nothing for their dad and they have completely disrespected him and dad's not really important to him, it's a good possibility that dad is disrespecting those in authority over him, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's the government, uh, the civil authorities. If you're going to disrespect, you can expect your sons to disrespect your authority. So tonight, can we understand why it is so important that we have the hearts of our children, that we can control our lives and tell them to observe our ways. So in closing here, I must make reference to this. The fact that our children are creatures of choice and our youth and adolescents, our creatures of choice, makes our responsibilities even greater. That is not an excuse. It makes our responsibilities even greater to know the importance of having the hearts of our children and that one day they will be on their own. It is not an excuse that all well, they have to make their own choices. Let's not use it as an excuse. What am I doing to prepare the way for God to change them? And we can't despair and we must continue to pursue the hearts of our child and continue to pursue the hearts of our children if we do not have their hearts. Do not settle for less than 100% of your children's hearts. Oh, because I have, I have 9 out of 10 of my children's hearts. That's good. No, it's not. We cannot settle for less than 100% of our children's hearts. There's nothing of greater value than the heart of our child in this life. No matter the age of our child, we have to meet them on their level and get down to their level and build relationships at every age and at every level. It's too often, and I've seen this and observed this, that the parents... Allow a child to give it away, give their heart away, and then settle for, well, that's just the way it is. I remember talking to a young father one time, and his, his sons were of teenage years, and to me, in my observation, they were a little bit running loose and doing how they please, and, and it was like Dad had zero control of their life, and he tells me this, well, I was young one time, you've got to let them have a little fun. Does that sound like a dad who has the hearts of their sons, of his sons? 
So tonight, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. I just challenge us with the fact that we need the hearts of our children, and I want to encourage you. In closing, I'm going to read a, a poem. It's anonymous. I don't know who wrote it, but I'm going to read a poem. And I'm going to give opportunity for families tonight. And after I read this poem, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask if there be any families here that, that want to pray together. So if father comes forward, then, then, then wife comes with him. If, if, if wife comes forward, then, then husband comes along. And if mom and dad come forward, then the children come with them. And if you want to pray and amend ways and reach out to the hearts of your children tonight, I feel I need to give you opportunity to do that. There could be somebody here that needs to reach the heart of their children. And I don't want you to wait until you get home. Because by the time you get home, it's not really important anymore. So after we, I read this poem and, and, and we pray, I'm going to ask for a, a verse of Just As I Am by our song leader. This poem... Dad's greatest job. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to be successful as a little fella's dad. There are certain dreams I cherish that I'd like to see come true. There are certain there are things I would accomplish ere my working time is through. But the task my head is set on is to guide a little lad and to make him myself successful as the, that little fellow's dad. It is one job I dream of. It is the task I think of most. If I'd fail that growing youngster, I'd have nothing else to boast. For the wealth and fame I gather, oh, my future would be sad if I'd fail to be successful as a little fella's dad. And I may never get earth's glory, I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if he who follows after is a Christian, I'll be glad. For I know I've been successful as a little fella's dad. Let's pray.